This is The Capital Corner, a McGuire Woods podcast exploring investment strategies, capital structures, and topics relevant in today's middle market private equity. Join McGuire Woods partner Jeff Cockrell as he and specialists share practical insights to inform your deal work. Thank you for joining another episode of our Corner Series. This is Jeff Cockrell, a partner with McGuire Woods. In our Corner Series, we bring together thought leadership uh, and deal makers at the intersection of healthcare and private equity. Um, it's a super active space uh, again this year. I'm thrilled to be joined with my good friend Jason Porter, Managing Director at Baird. Jason is one of the leading investment bankers in the healthcare provider services space. He's developed some particular specializations in a, in a few sectors, and we're going to talk about one of them today, uh, talking a little bit about fertility and OBGYN. Jason, maybe uh, give a brief introduction and then we'll jump into some questions. Yeah, happy to, Jeff, and really appreciate you having me on. It's great to be here. Um, I was trying to think back to the first transaction we worked on together, and, and to be honest, I think it was 11 or 12 years ago, and it's always been uh, been a pleasure being either uh, on the same side of you or, or even on the other side of the table. So I lead Baird's provider services sector coverage within our uh, healthcare group and our global investment bank, specializing it, as you said, uh, predominantly in the, the physician practice management space. Um, where I've had the opportunity and kind of fortune to, to work with a lot of specialties, a lot of practices, and, and a lot of great companies over the years as, as we've really seen an acceleration in the consolidation in the provider world. So great to, to be here and, and looking forward to our conversation. So maybe to start us off, there's been quite a bit of investor interest in fertility and OBGYN. Maybe give your assessment of uh, where that interest is coming from, uh, why it's been so high. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's two kind of separate sectors, although they're certainly related, and there's there's definite convergence. Maybe I'll start with on the the OBGYN side and on the practice side. You, you know that that consolidation and aggregation has been going on now for for close to fifteen years. I was fortunate enough to be part of of one of the early transactions with uh, with Unified Physician Management when uh, when Aries invested in them when they were a three hundred. Uh, OBGYN provider group in the state of Florida, and, and now they are, are far larger um, than that. It's been a, a quite a successful, uh, successful outcome. And really, I, th- I mean, I think the thesis is is a lot of is consistent across a lot of the sectors, but but particularly in the OBGYN side, it's it's really women and female primary care, and, and they're at at the forefront and seeing their patients most frequently and more frequently than most other healthcare providers. And so when you can get in early and when you can have patients kind of coming into the system, you can really do a lot of a lot of interesting things. You're now seeing payers uh, start to accommodate risk and value-based care elements. You've got providers clearly across the sector pushing for more and more contracts and abilities to take risks, to provide value-based care, uh, to improve outcomes, and to be rewarded for that. So you and you've seen payers come across and and be accepting of that, although maybe a little bit slower than than some would have hoped. And then you've you've certainly got, uh, particularly on the OB side, a significant portion kind of of the Medicaid world. Forty uh, percent of births, I think, are are paid for and covered under Medicaid. And as as states certainly increase the prevalence of managed Medicaid, the the MCOs are looking at ways to manage costs to improve outcomes. And, and I think some of these larger practices that have broader data sets are able to much more effectively manage those costs both throughout the pregnancy through the delivery 
and and I'd say very important now, kind of postpartum, uh, as you get into more of a behavioral element. So that's been, um, I think, a, a lot of the drivers on the OBGYN side. And then when you look at fertility, the tailwinds, just in terms of, of the, the demographics, kind of from an aging population, people delaying childbirth, people struggling with fertility issues, has it's continued to grow the sector, grow the cycles. And you've got also a lot of technology and um, research and, and advancements in medicine, really increasing the effectiveness, reducing the, the time and the number of cycles that it takes to have a successful um, pregnancy and a successful outcome. And so when you layer in a lot of the learnings, a lot of the teachings, the growth in it, and then the coverage side where we're seeing a lot more employers, particularly in a challenging job market, begin to cover fertility treatments, you're seeing more successful outcomes. And the coverage is increasing, and I think it's attracted a, a lot of, of investment. And there are now a whole host of platforms that are rapidly consolidating the sector. And, and it's one of the, so I, I do spend my time in provider services, which tends to be challenging from a cross-border perspective. Everything tends to be pretty focused, but, but fertility is one area where we started to see a decent amount of, of cross-border activity. The big KKR EV RMA acquisition recently, um, which is a global player. And so I think when you look at TAM, when you look at kind of what the market is, you really have in fertility a global TAM and a global opportunity for groups to continue growing. So I think those are a couple of the factors that are, are leading to, to some of the investment that we've seen. So you, you mentioned there are very different businesses, but there are synergies. They obviously have very different payer mixes of government versus non-government. Doctor compensation is different. Uh, ancillary services uh, are different. How, how do you see these two businesses from the perspective of are they better off as kind of uh, separate pure plays? Uh, is there any integration of those two uh, when you get to a certain scale? Um, how together or apart are they? Yeah, from a provider standpoint, a reproductive endocrinologist and an OBGYN are, are very different. They're incredibly differently compensated. And so, so it, I think it takes a special set of circumstances, predominantly driven by scale, to, to really fold the two into kind of a, a comprehensive platform. For the most part, I think you've seen them grow independent of one another, although clearly there, there is overlap, there's communication, there's patient referrals kind of going back and forth. But the majority of the OBGYN platforms, traditional OBGYN makes maybe 250, uh, a little bit more than that. And so in order to create a platform from a, a scale perspective, you need a relatively large number of providers. And so I think that's led to a pretty limited number of platforms out there. There, there are you know a handful for sure, but but historically the, the the ones that have been around for eight or ten years have grown quite large. Whereas in fertility, you have reproductive endocrinologists that that can make a significant amount of compensation given cycles, given reputation, given success. Because fertility is one of the few areas where you can keep score and you can actually uh, view what success looks like. So you can have a, a very small number of doctors create a platform, and that's, I think, led to a, a far greater number of platforms all looking to grow. You know, obviously, the big example of, of kind of bringing the two together is, is with Unified acquiring CCRM um, last year and kind of really two scaled businesses. And when you have that level of scale where you can kind of have the referral channels, have the, provide, the, the patient base to have it make sense, you can get through some of the, the potential channel conflict issues that I think people are nervous about um, when they're when they're smaller, just kind of owning both sides of that of that service. 
is the growth strategy on both of those more uh, acquisition driven, which I would assume uh, how much uh, room for de novo growth is there? What's the growth strategy in these two different sectors? Yeah, it's absolutely predominantly driven by acquisitions. It's hard to be a provider, uh, an independent provider. Um, when you've got consolidation that's taking place among the payers, you've got consolidation that's taking place among the systems. Being out there, being independent is challenging. And I think a lot of these platforms provide a lot of great services to, to have independent providers kind of come in, uh, allow clearly the clinical autonomy for them to continue to practice medicine the way that they want to, but provide the the, the more challenging things, the, the payer contracting, the IT infrastructure, the compliance pieces that need to be integrated in a part of every practice that's out there. And, and so I think that the consolidation, the acquisition strategy is certainly the predominant way. You know, OBGYNs, very broad, large population, a lot of targets out there from a growth perspective. Fertility, less so. Fewer reproductive endocrinologists harder to kind of pull people out of, of residency. And so I think the acquisitions is harder to kind of create a de novo strategy out of that given, uh, I think, the limited pool of providers. So we've certainly seen acquisitions be a heavy, grow, heavy heavily utilized growth strategy for that sector. Part of the uh, multiple creep as you get to scale in a lot of provider services businesses are driven by some of the same things. Uh, when you have scale, you can usually do a little bit better payer contracting. Um, you might be able to uh, dip your toe into value-based uh, uh, contracting. But there's also a, an ability to internalize uh, ancillary services or bring in new business lines. What's the uh, available kind of uh, ancillary services growth in these two sectors? Yeah, I, I think that that's right. When you think about the consolidation and, and the rationale for consolidations, it's not it's not cost synergies, right? It's, it's much more on the revenue synergy side where you're able to bring in, take smaller groups who maybe weren't utilizing every service possible and were outsourcing some and referring patients to, to other providers um, and kind of bring all that in. So on the OBGYN side, you know, you've got mammography, um, in-office mammography, you've got labs, you've got, I think, clearly the, the value-based care contracting perspective. And so I think that's some of the bigger components. And then on the, the fertility side, maybe less so around some of the more aggregating of and adding of ancillaries. You know, clearly, you got you bring in and, and providing your own lab is probably the biggest one and making sure that that is all contained in-house. Yeah, we've also seen some ability to delve into kind of related business lines, whether that's like egg banks or other things that are a smaller practice uh, in fertility wouldn't have the capability of doing, but a larger one could, which creates some other, uh, uh, like like you mentioned, revenue synergies. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Egg donation, um, some surrogacy services that are out there. There are those those related services that can be brought to, to bear in a broader organization. Absolutely. One of the more kind of interesting evolutions, and it plays out differently in different sectors, but one of the more interesting evolutions has been the evolving uh, provider comp models, moving away from pure production to uh, differing forms of kind of revenue sharing or uh, income repair models. What kind of comp models do you see in these two different sectors? Yeah, uh, that has definitely been an evolution. So I think we've certainly seen kind of revenue sharing. We've seen kind of profit scrape models as well. We've seen 
differing kind of levels of, of ancillaries. And I think regardless of the flavor, I think where the focus has been historically and, and it, the focus is, is becoming more so today is really around kind of income repair and what the platforms both on the fertility and on the OBGYN side are able, the benefits they're able to provide back to their providers. So there's a huge focus in terms of tracking pre-transaction comp, whether it's for the platform group or for add-ons versus post-transaction comp and how that has, has increased to, to what extent it's increased back to their, their original baselines and how, how those compare. And the more ancillary services, the more revenue, different types of businesses you can bring to bear, the, the, the more that has come into play. I think on the utility side, it's much more given the highly compensated nature uh, around kind of some of that profit scrape and less on the on kind of the percentage of revenue side we're on the OBGYN side, given the the lower the lower comp models, I think we see a, a far greater construct in terms of how these platforms invest in these practices and then ultimately how those providers are compensated. As a banker, when you're taking a, one of these companies to market, to what extent are you driving the buyers to a particular answer on that comp model? Um, versus just kind of taking what comes in? Um, and how do those discussions go with the doctors? Yeah, I, I think you need to have a perspective to be able to share with your clients in terms of, of modeling out what a transaction is ultimately going to look like and then approaching the market with a construct in place. Now, many groups have different models and there's I think some groups have more flexibility than others in terms of having, having multiple comp models within their own platform. So I think you want to approach the market with a construct. You want to have educated the providers in terms of what this might, might look like and what the various options are so that then you, when you receive bids and offers from, from different platforms of different sponsors, you can, can really put them and try to convert them to more of an apples to apples basis, utilizing their, their basic construct, but then walking the providers through what ultimately this is going to look like for them both today, kind of the initial transaction value, but particularly with, with rollover equity, what it can look like in the future and what that proverbial second bite of the apple can be from an economic perspective. You touched a little bit on uh, value-based contracting, um, and those can take a lot of different flavors, uh, whether that's kind of pure capitation type structures or bundle payments. In these two sectors, what, what does uh, value-based contracting look like? Yeah, on the OBGYN side, I think the initial push has been around the pregnancy and kind of bundling both full service for the pregnancy as well as postpartum, which can incorporate a behavioral element, having uh, a single price and and really regardless of the outcome. I think you can have within that kind of construct or you can have you know full upside downside risk, you can have shared shared savings at a baseline and you can have kind of pay for performance. So th there's even kind of spectrums of that, but that's where I think most of the payers are focused right now is on fixing a, a cost per pregnancy and then having the providers with you know the aggregation of data, the sharing of best practices, you know, reducing C-section rates, reducing NICU um, admissions, because that's where the, the cost, you know, with preterm labor is astronomical compared to kind of a, a normal course pregnancy. On the fertility side, it's, it's a little bit interesting and you're more, almost seeing some of the, the benefit players kind of come in with something creative because so much of the 
the funding is either private, uh, personal, or employer, uh, more and more em- employer funding from self, self-insured self employers. You're having groups kind of look at, at the provider landscape, kind of identifying who the best providers are, where they should, where those employees should be directed in terms of being able to go. And then, you know, what are the, the steps that they should take? Should they take kind of first line, second line, third line, or depending on some biometric information, some specific patient medical history, should they jump straight to third line and, and eliminate first line and second line, which are likely to be unsuccessful, and then just ultimately increasing the aggregate cost. So really monitoring and navigating which types of, of fertility treatments should be implemented to reach the most successful outcome with the least cost. Bouncing back to the OBGYN value-based contracting, uh, you, you mentioned that the, there's such a wildly different uh, cost that can occur. Like uh, a lot of pregnancies will uh, are, are within a fairly narrow band, and then uh, early term ones are astronomical. Given that kind of binary outcome potential, what kind of scale does a OBGYN need to uh, be at before you can really contemplate that kind of uh, risk absorption? Yeah, it, it's certainly hard um, in a in a small. Uh, a small practice um, to, to take full downside risk in that scenario. You can probably get away with, with something on, on shared savings or upside only. But look, I, I think you need data around the pregnancies of your providers and the outcomes. You, you just, there's no other way around it as, as the entire healthcare ecosystem moves to value-based care. The only way to do it effectively and to do it where there's true benefit for both the payer and the provider is to be able to have the data around the outcomes within your specific practice. And, and so uh, whether it's 100 providers, 200 providers, you know, I don't know where it is, but but you need to have the visibility into your outcomes to get extremely comfortable from a, a correlation perspective in terms of where you're going to go, where you're comfortable setting rates, where you're comfortable kind of setting benchmarks so that, that these can be these value-based contracts can be beneficial to you overall as a group. And and the only way to do that is with scale. As far as kind of uh, putting together the market of things to buy, you mentioned uh, that there's some differences in the available targets. How much on the bottom end do you see kind of smaller aggregators or smaller funds kind of putting together the first steps? Or is everything that is of any scale at all being gobbled up by a much larger platform? Yeah, yeah. I think the on the fertility side, things of scale are kind of becoming their their own new platforms. Um, so it, it's I'd say more traditional to what we're seeing in in other markets where things of scale command materially higher multiples. The platforms that are out there, you know, they're they're completely co- comfortable paying a high multiple for the initial platform, but they 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 want to you know average down that multiple over time with additional acquisitions and so struggle to pay a premium multiple for an add-on. And, and that's consistent on, on the fertility side. And the OBGYN side, it's actually a little bit different. The vast majority of the large groups know each other very well. And so historically, there were four or five or six consolidators that were out there that can talk to those groups when, when those groups are ready to do a transaction and kind of each offer a little bit different flavor. And so the, the large group would kind of pick whichever one um, they wanted to join. And that's kind of how the, the industry evolved. There are now a couple of, of smaller entrants that, that have made the move to get in. And I think they'll be successful in terms of, of aggregating and, and acquiring smaller groups that are out there and doing it maybe in terms of just a higher volume of transactions, but less kind of big 
uh, individual transactions that are transformative from their size. Jason, I think we'll uh, call it a wrap there. Uh, you always have tons of insights. I really appreciate you joining uh, for this episode. We'll have to do it again sometime. We we'll look forward to it. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Thank you for joining us on this installment of The Capital Corner. To learn more about today's discussion, please email host Jeff Cockrell at gcockrell at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This series was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this series, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this installment. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This series should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action.